thank you for joining me uh, once again as we continue a, a devotional series. I call it From Unbelief to Belief. Uh, the design being to uh, cause us to think about, to reflect upon uh, the great truth of the gospel, uh, that it is demonstrably true, and that uh, we can with confidence speak to those uh, who are in an unbelieving state uh, knowing with certainty that what we say is true, but knowing with certainty uh, that God will utilize that which is true to accomplish salvation. We don't have to uh, uh, polish it. We don't have to refine it, uh, that we can speak of it uh, as God has given it to us uh, with complete confidence uh, that God will accomplish His purpose. And so today, open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. We're going to begin in verse 4 and read uh, through verse 7 and uh, uh, speak uh, about uh, uh, some of the ways that we can be confident that uh, we haven't misunderstood who Jesus is, we haven't misunderstood what Jesus has accomplished, uh, that, uh, that God had promised Jesus uh, uh, for centuries and those that were inspired of God's Holy Spirit had written of Him, had spoken of Him for centuries and that ultimately Jesus is exactly uh, who the Bible predicted, who the Bible promised, who the Bible prophesied. And so Paul wants us to know uh, that at just the appropriate time in the course of human history, in the course of uh, prophetic biblical revelation, Jesus stepped on the scene and Jesus did what God uh, had demanded and commanded that he do and that uh, he finished uh, the assignment that God had given him, uh, namely the accomplishment of salvation. So Galatians 4 and verse 4 reads, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you're sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So at the appropriate time, Jesus enters the realm. Uh, many people look to certain historical realities that uh, the, uh, the Roman roads allowed for the transportation of the first missionaries, uh, the security and the peace that had been secured uh, by the Roman legions, uh, again, allowed for this type of uh, safety and security in, in travel, uh, that uh, uh, there was a, a common language in much of the Mediterranean basin that had been established uh, through uh, the uh, um, uh, campaigns of Alexander the Great, uh, even 300 years before the Lord Jesus, had uh, brought Greek culture and Greek language to this Mediterranean uh, basin. And so uh, many, many, many of the uh, citizens of these areas spoke Greek, uh, the, the language that the Bible uh, would, or the New Testament would be written in. And so at just the right time in human history, Jesus appears uh, on the scene uh, that indeed uh, he was uh, born of woman, as uh, uh, we'll see in a minute, was, was prophesied, and he was born for a particular purpose, for the sake of accomplishing uh, redemption, and that God, through his son Jesus, his son has adopted us as sons, 
and He has done a work with His Spirit in sealing us and regenerating us that causes us to cry out to God that indeed we recognize you as our Father. And so, uh, once again, uh, uh, the Spirit and the Word uh, provide a, a uniform testimony and even at some level a uniform experience to the truth about what God has done in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want to run a, a bit of a line or a thread through the Old Testament and uh, we don't have time to be exhaustive uh, in terms of how the Old Testament uh, predicts uh, the coming of our Lord. Uh, but some of these uh, should be familiar to you. Uh, but over these hundreds of years of the development of the Old Testament uh, canon, the Old Testament books, these prophets separated by time and space, even centuries, consistently and uniformly bore witness that there was one to come, that, that he uh, would be one peculiar, one particular individual, and that uh, uh, he could be known, or you would know that it is him, because he fulfilled not just some, but everything uh, that was uh, predicted of him. And so uh, we can go all the way back uh, to the book of Genesis and begin to see this thread run through the history of the Old Testament and ends in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, the first mention of a Redeemer uh, in the Bible is found in the book of Genesis chapter 3 and there's one described as the seed of the woman and he shall be bruised but, but he shall crush the head of the bruising serpent. And so this is the first word of suggestion about a, a unique son. Uh, it is not normative to speak of a son as the seed of the woman. We think of the seed as coming from the man, not really the woman. But we know that this uh, mysterious phraseology at least suggests to us uh, that there's not going to be the normative participation of the male in the conception of this seed of the woman. And so, uh, again, it, it anticipates uh, the specific testimonies uh, regarding uh, the virgin birth. Uh, the birth absence, the uh, involvement of the male uh, in the conceiving process that uh, Jesus was the work, the conception uh, of the Holy Spirit. Uh, so in the womb of Mary. So we begin in Genesis with one described as the seed of woman. Later in the book of, of Genesis, he is described as uh, the lion of the tribe of Judah. It's kind of interesting uh, that as, for the most part, uh, the patriarchs, the 12 sons of, of uh, Jacob, really aren't particularly impressive. Uh, you could say Joseph is pretty significant, and he is. I, he's not pretty significant. He's quite significant. And, and genuinely, uh, I think uh, one of the few uh, characters in the Old Testament uh, that uh, we can speak confidently of was a man of uh, integrity. And, and there's really not a lot of criticism of Joseph. Judah's a different matter. And, uh, uh, but yet God... Uh, chose Judah as the one uh, through whom this royal line, this promised seed, uh, would come. And, and uh, then uh, he would uh, not only be from that line, but he would be of the great patriarch Abraham, that, that through uh, his grandson Judah, 
that Abraham would have a descendant uh, through whom the entirety of the world would be blessed. Through So seed of the woman, uh, son of Abraham, blessing to Abraham, blessing to Abraham, blessing of Abraham, uh, through uh, the lion of Judah. And then hundreds of years pass, and there is a descendant of Judah whose name is David, who is uh, not the most impressive of the sons of a man named Jesse, uh, but yet God says he's a man after his own heart, and he chooses him uh, to be uh, the king of this nation of Israel that God had formed out of these descendants of Abraham, uh, a people that would be, in, in a sense, the incubator uh, for this promised seed, this, uh, again, special, specific son of Abraham, Judah. Now, uh, David, that David is going to have a son who's going to have a, a throne that shall endure forever, that he shall rule and reign, and he shall rule and reign well. Well, the truth is none of David's sons, and not even David himself, was that impressive as a ruler, or at least we could say they were flawed, and they were severely flawed. But God chose David as the uh, royal house, a royal lineage, and so uh, there would be one that would come through the royal lineage of David, that would be born in Bethlehem. And again, that God uh, brought the events of the affairs of Jesus' day to where uh, a peasant engaged to a peasant girl uh, living uh, in uh, uh, you know, small town Palestine uh, would be uh, motivated uh, to uh, go to, to Bethlehem uh, during the final days of the pregnancy of this young lady so that this child would be born. A pagan king issues a decree that uh, mobilizes this couple so their son would be born in Bethlehem. And this son would be one that Isaiah would speak of as, as the suffering servant, that, that he uh, would be mistreated, he would be rejected, he would be abused. But in some sense, he would see uh, that which was uh, his, his offspring, that, that he would endure in, in, in some sense, that his work would uh, endure. And that this suffering servant, the psalm would speak as one who would be pierced and he would be abused, uh, that he, in a, a, a sense, would be uh, persecuted and, and opposed. And, and then the psalmist would say that this this chosen and anointed particular seed through the house of uh, uh, the line of Abraham and Judah and the house of David, who would suffer and be persecuted uh, and would die in his death, the body placed in the ground would not see corruption. Now, that's impressive. And that one thing that's certain and even with modern embalming procedures, uh, that very soon after a person is placed in the ground, uh, their body obviously begins to decompose. But God had a plan uh, for this one uh, we know as Jesus, uh, this one born of the woman, born at just the right time, fulfilling all of these promises, that he would not see corruption because he wouldn't stay dead. That God would raise him from the dead. And so we see uh, a, a straight line that runs through the course of history that at the end of that line we see a person 
whose name is Jesus, who fulfills the prophecies, who's exactly who God said he uh, is. He does exactly what God said he would do. He fulfills all the promises. He is the accomplisher of the gospel. He fulfills the law. He suffers the penalty of the law. And therefore, he is our all-sufficient Savior. And so indeed, Jesus is the Savior. He is the promised one. Uh, his fingerprint is the exact fingerprint of the one who had been promised for centuries. So I pray that this is a blessing to your day, and I look forward to seeing you once again tomorrow.